welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith. I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BFW's weekly show where we hit on all the latest and greatest news of the week. This will be a combo show, the two-for-one deal, more bang for your buck, because I'm going to start this episode with a preview show. Uh, as you know, Bayern Munich's schedule has been extremely condensed. The English weeks are here. The English are coming. The English are coming. You know how that works. Uh, so we have been bombarded with games and a lot of podcasts have dropped. So rather than drop so many that you have to feel obligated to listen to them all, we're trying to combine some of them up just to give you a little bit of a break and uh, not overwhelm you with so many podcasts coming down the pike. But we appreciate all the support, all the downloads that you've been able to uh, give us because uh, we love interacting with the fans. We love interacting with the BFW community. So when you listen, it's a big boost for us. Uh, we like sharing our thoughts and love to hear your feedback as well. And Bayern Munich has some work cut out for it this weekend. And as we know, uh, SC Freiburg is no easy out for anyone. This has not been their best season so far, but Christian Strike is just always a menace to Bayern Munich. He's always a threat to concoct some game plan to at least rip away one point against the Bavarian. So uh, we'll, we will see how that situation plays out. But as we always do with the preview show portion of the program, we will take a look at where each team sits within the Bundesliga table. And we'll start with third place Bayern Munich. I know, doesn't that sound weird? But through six match days, Bayern Munich has four wins, two draws, no losses. They have a goal differential of six because they've scored 16 goals for and I'm sorry a goal differential of 14 uh, my math is on point my reading is not uh, they have a goal differential of 14 because Byron has scored 20 goals and given up six they have 14 points in the table which ties them with Borussia Dortmund who has the same exact record over Byron's last five games, they have three wins and two draws in the league. Last week, of course, was a 2-2 tie against RB Leipzig, which left many Bayern Munich fans a little unsatisfied. Uh, a quick respite from going over where each team stands. We'll just take a, a quick look at who sits above Bayern Munich. Bayer Leverkusen is in first place, and VfB Stuttgart, the surprising Schwaben, are in second place which is going to be very interesting because we know who their goalkeeper is Bayern Munich Loney Alexander Nubel who is doing a very good job it will be interesting to see how long Stuttgart can keep up the pace that they have obviously getting a lot of offense right now obviously surprising a lot of teams but it's uh, refreshing to see someone break into that mix atop the table and if it Helps put Bayern Munich on alert, then more power to it. As for Freiburg, they are not looking as sound as they did last season, although their place in the table is right about where they deserve to be at this point. Uh, I think there's a lot of room for improvement there. Uh, obviously, being at this point in the season, it's still very early, but Freiburg has the talent to rebound and make a push for one of those European positions, of course, a top six slot. So right now, Freiburg's in eighth place through six match days, three wins, one draw, two losses. Offense has been a problem. They've only scored seven goals so far. They've given up 10, so their goal differential is minus three. They have 10 points, which, as I said, puts them in eighth place. 
And over their last five games in the league, they have two wins, one draw, and two losses. Last week was a 2-0 victory over FC Augsburg. Freiburg is definitely a team that has not gotten it together yet. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But it does not mean that they won't. And it's a very talented side with a very smart coach who knows how to extract the best out of his roster. He just has not been able to do that as of yet. I think there were a lot of expectations on Freiburg coming into this season, but they took some big losses in the in the summer. They have not really been able to get on the same page or in sync as an attack, obviously. So this is this is definitely a match where I think they know coming into it that Bayern Munich is the better, deeper, more talented team, and Freiburg's just going to be looking for a way to claw out a draw. And if Strike thinks that that is the best way to proceed, I think that he will push for that. So I wouldn't be shocked to see Freiburg sitting back deep, trying to absorb some of Bayern Munich's attack and looking for a quick counter. Hey, it's worked in the past for Strike. Now, sometimes he will come out and he'll try and go punch for punch with Bayern Munich. Knowing what the Freiburg attack has looked like this season, I don't think he believes that that tactic will work this time around. Uh, it's not as if they have a lack of talent, but nothing has been on the same page as far as the team's attacking has gone. When you look up and down the roster, though, you you can see that this Freiburg team has potential to pull it all together. You look at defenders like Philip Leinhardt, Matthias Ginter, obviously a lot of good experience there. Players who can make an impact. Of course, they are missing Christian Gunter right now as he is battling a fractured arm and this is a situation for Freiburg where he is such a key player for them. Uh, missing him alone is, is a big enough loss. But when the team is scuffling is when you really start to see uh, how players like that, their absence is felt. So uh, I, I know that Strike wants Gunter back. I know that that he is a, a key aspect to everything that they are doing, even as he you know advances into being an older player at 30. Uh, but as soon as he is back, I think that will help provide a little bit of stability. Uh, you can also just look at, I mean, some of the other names on the roster. Max Eggestein has been, been around seemingly forever. Uh, of course, a lot of you remember him from his Werder Bremen days. Eggestein was a player who had, it was well thought of, highly regarded, never quite got to that level that I think many thought that he would. But he's become a nice player for Freiburg and he fits in well with what Christian Strike is doing there. Some of the attackers, uh, it's it's kind of funny because these are names that you've seen time and time again, and you know that they can be productive players. It just has not happened at this point. Uh, Michael Gregorich battling calf problems. That's a bit of an issue for Freiburg. Lucas Holaire is a player who, again, at 29, he has been around. He has produced. He has done some really good things. I know that Strike will be looking for him to start to ramp up his production and performance a couple of other players to keep an eye on. Roland Salai uh, plays out on the wing for Freiburg. Vincenzo Grifo has always seemingly been one of those players who's underrated in the Bundesliga. And an interesting name who has bounced around a lot. Max Philip, who a lot of people remember from Borussia Dortmund, has been on a wild career odyssey with stops basically all over. Uh, not that he'll make too big of an impact in this match, but he does have talent and he has a knack for finding the net in big spots. He just has not been able to, again, uh, live up to the potential that I think many thought that he had. Uh, so that is it in a nutshell. Some of the players you have to look out for, some players of note for SC Freiburg. 
When it comes to Bayern Munich and how they may line up, there are, in some ways, a lot of options for Tuchel, and in other ways, not a lot. Uh, of course, we know that Matthias De Ligt is out. He is battling with a knee injury that looks like it is worse than first expected. I think this international break will do him a world of good to not have to worry about pushing himself to get back. Of course, even if he gets back, he's still in Tuchel's doghouse anyway, so there's no guarantee that you know, Tuchel would use him. Uh, we also know that Manuel Neuer is on the verge of coming back, though it won't be against Freiburg. So there are some options there. Serge Gnabry is out. So Thomas Tuchel has a couple of different ways he can go and how he can approach this. Uh, he can look at some of the players who have performed, some of the players that are producing, uh, some of them are on the bench. He's got some options for where he can use different players. Tuchel, though, has become someone who has been impossible to predict, just like Julian Nagelsmann was. You don't really know what he's thinking, what he feels, and then all of a sudden you start to see stories leak a couple of days later about why a player isn't playing or what their problem is. It's been really odd. I know that's probably off-putting for the players to have to learn some of those things that are getting out through the media, uh, Matthijs De Ligt is one of those players who has been kind of a target with that. Same for Thomas Muller, of course. So, uh, you know, we haven't heard much about Nusar Mizrahi and why he has fallen out of favor at times, but we can assume that that Mizrahi uh, could benefit from Conrad Leimer's recent struggles, although it's tough to really understand if Tuchel is considering them struggles for Leimer, even though a lot of fans would classify them that way. When it comes down to trying to predict a lineup for this weekend, you kind of have to go chalk on it just because Tuchel is, uh, I don't know, he's predictably unpredictable, okay, <laughs> if that makes sense. Uh, we'll go with Ulreich at goal, and he deserves to keep playing. I know a lot of people are clamoring for Daniel Peretz, but uh, I think as a young goalkeeper playing in a in a playing in a roster where Bayern Munich is a world-class team and there's so much talent. I think you want to let the young kid live off of the moment that he had and how he played uh, in that Pokal match because he did a great thing. You want to have him have that confidence and build from there. I think Ulreich has proven time and time again during this stint that, yes, he's not Manuel Neuer, but he is good enough to be a starter on a few teams in the Bundesliga and as a quality backup I don't have any problem with him continuing to play. I know some people just don't want to see him anymore, but I, I mean, the situation for Bayern Munich is what it is. Neuer plays such a different style than everyone else, and he allows the defenders in front of him to operate in a way that is so unconventional and so hard to play against that when he's gone, you can't replicate it. You can't even try. So a lot of us are probably spoiled with the way Neuer has played goal since he arrived at the club. But no issues with me on Ulrich. He, is, he has done exactly what I think the club has wanted him to do, and that's why there are rumors out there that there may be a contract extension for Ulrich in the near future. As far as the back line goes, uh, I think it's it's going to be pretty standard. I think Kim and Jay and Daya Upamakano, despite the fact that Upamakano is battling a nagging injury, are going to get the call. Bayern just doesn't have options to use in a game like this against SC Freiburg, barring some kind of odd formation with a back three from Tuchel, I think you have to go with Kim Min-Jay and Upamakano. At the outside back positions, I think we're going to see Alfonso Davies and uh, Nusar Mizrahi. 
Conrad Limer has not been great the last couple of times out. So I don't anticipate that he's going to get a look this week as much as I think Tuchel is uh, looking to keep Goretzka on the bench. Uh, it might be difficult for him because he can't lean on Limer, but there may be some other ways that Tuchel can go. And we'll talk about those in a second, but Mizrahi and Davies at the outside back positions, I think makes sense. Uh, Davies, uh, listen, I think Davies has been good this season. Still want more out of him. I feel like there's so much more to get from him. Uh, Mizrahi, I think has done a good job. And I think that, uh, with, Limer getting some of that time. It might have shaken Mesrawi up a little bit to let him know he's got to improve himself. And there are certain aspects of his game that need to get better, including his defensive awareness and positioning. It's very tough on the Bayern Munich center backs when Davies and Mesrawi are both bombing so far upfield uh, with the lack of a real holding midfielder, given the way that both, well, actually Goretzka, Limer and Kimmich all like to push up into the play as well. It leaves those two center backs so naked at times uh, with no help. Uh, I think that Mizrahi has to tone it back a little bit. As much as he might be able to replicate what Davies can do on the right side, he can't do it because it creates such an imbalance and leaves the team so susceptible for counterattacks. Uh, there's got to be, just like there's got to be some kind of balance between uh, Kimmich and whoever his partner may be in the midfield, in terms of who can push forward and who can sit back a little bit, Davies and Mizrahi have to start to read and play off each other a little bit because the team cannot function like it is, uh, like or like it has at points this season and even last season when those two are both so far upfield that it just you're just waiting for something bad to happen. Uh, so either way, that's the back line for this week, and I think that it's a smart choice against Freiburg. In the midfield, I think we're going to see Yeshua Kimmich and Rafael Guerrero. I think Goretzka is going to stay on the bench. I, I have had this feeling since last year when Tuchel took over that he has wanted Goretzka out of the lineup. Uh, I think he has been waiting for Goretzka to have an off game, and once he did, he could not wait to pull the trigger and get him out of there. Normally, we would see Conrad Limer partner up with Kimmich, but Limer has also been... Uh, pretty bad, honestly, of late. And I really like Limer. I like his energy and what he brings to the game. But hey, listen, players have bad games. They go through slumps. And I think right now Limer is doubting himself a little bit. I think moving around from midfield to right back has made him uncomfortable and made him second guess himself out on the field. Everything from positioning and when to challenge and with his passing, everything, it seems off right now. So with Limer, I anticipate that that he'll start on the bench with Goretzka and that Guerrero will get his first shot uh, to partner up with Kimmich to give everyone a, lo a long look at what that could uh, could really play out like on the field, uh, if you will. Uh, Kimmich, of course, uh, likes to push up, likes to be the six, but also likes to be more offensively involved. Guerrero, I think is smart enough to know what the situation is and smart enough to, to hang back when Kimmich decides to make his moves forward. We'll see if it plays out that way in the attack. You have some more interesting choices. Harry Kane is a, a no brainer there. We will talk about Kane and his lack of involvement because it's become a theme. Uh, themes eventually become a problem. And if Bayern Munich doesn't start to figure out how to use Harry Kane and how to play with Harry Kane, this is going to look like a wasted transfer because for Bayern Munich to get to where it needs to be, which is to win a treble, they need Harry Kane. Make no mistake, 
if Harry Kane is not involved and Harry Kane is not producing and Harry Kane is not touching the ball, then Bayern Munich has no chance. And, and that's that's just a fact. Well, at least it's a fact to me anyway. Uh, at the 10, we will see Jamal Musiala because I will continue to ride my crazy theory that Bayern Munich is scared to death that Musiala will be off put by sitting at all. I think Musiala is getting into Kimmich territory in terms of coaches being afraid to take him out. Uh, I think that we're starting to see some signs of Musiala getting a bit of that pro attitude that his youthful exuberance might be disappearing and that he is starting to really become a professional at this point. Much like Kimmich, when it comes to media engagement, Musiala plays innocent, just like Kimmich. But I get this feeling, and again, it is just a feeling that Musiala is working a lot of back channels right now and that if Bayern Munich feels like they are threatened by Musiala, and by threatened I mean Musiala wants to play the 10, he wants to play all the time, and Bayern Munich does not want to upset him because of the threat of him eventually jumping back to England. And I know it's a far way off. He's got a contract that runs for a while, but we all know what Musiala is. We all know the kind of talent he holds. And you know that those big teams in Spain, and especially those power clubs in England, would love to bring him back to the island. So in my mind, Bayern Munich is is pussyfooting around with Musiala. And, and sure, he has been pretty good of late. I, I will say this. He was not good from the World Cup last year through the beginning of this season, honestly, I felt like he was off and I felt like he wasn't himself. And I feel I feel like lately we're starting to see those glimpses of what he is and what he can be and how he looked at this time last year, which was awesome. But I do think there's something there. I think that, you know, it doesn't make sense for a player that's so slight, uh, a player that re- that really does rely on his quickness to not get more off days than he's gotten. You want to keep a player like that healthy. And as much as he wants to play, just like Kimmich, sometimes when you have a, a high motor like that, you, you do need forced days off. At the wing positions, again, you could really start to, to think things will get interesting here. Leroy Sané has made himself a no-brainer. I don't think he was good against FC Copenhagen. Uh, one of the rare off days that he's had this season so far. But Sané has been the man. He's been Bayern Munich's arguably their best player so far this season, so he will get that start. I do think maybe he could also use a bit of a recharge, and I know he did just had a game off, uh, or at least did not start in the Pokal match, but I do think that uh, wear and tear will start to build on a player like Sané. You have to manage Sané, Gnabry, and Coman very closely. I don't think Tuchel has gotten a handle on that yet or that he understands that yet. Uh, these three will absolutely run themselves into an injury if you let them. So I think Tuchel needs to be mindful of that. But right now with Gnabry out, it would come down to two of the three between Coman, Sané, and Tell. And I think the way things are going, it's going to be Sané and Coman. Coman has not had his best season. I think he hasn't been as sharp as maybe we've seen him over the past two years. Uh, and, and it just could be, I know he was dealing with a little bit of an injury. Uh, he's probably not completely confident in his role because he did start uh, on the bench quite a few times earlier in the season. Uh, it does seem like Tuchel prefers Gnabry and Sané as the wings, but Coman's getting his chance now. He's going to have to do a little bit better to establish himself as a full-time starter if that's what he wants to be. Uh, Tell has been 
just incredible this season. And as much as I think fans would love to see him play, and I know there are some detractors who don't think he can play wing full-time. I'm not one of them. I believe that the kid can make that transition if he wants to. I think it was very strategic that Thomas Muller identified Tell and and used Arian Robin as an example of someone who Tell kind of plays like in terms of his eye for the goal, his nose for the goal, and his ability to score. Uh, I think that was very strategic by Muller because I think he, he sees it as well, and I think he also sees that if Tell is playing wing, then it could open up some time for him. But that's a real cynical, cynical way for me to view that either way. Tell and Muller have been a great combination on the bench, so that's where they'll start. So there you have it. All right, in goal. Kidman, Jay, and Upamakano at the center backs. Davies and Mizrahi at right back. Kimmich and Guerrero in the central midfield. Musiala, Coman, Sané, and Kane in the attack. As for a prediction, I'm going to say this is going to be a 3-1 win for Bayern Munich. This is a dangerous match for a lot of reasons. I, I do think that Strike is going to play this conservatively. We know that Tuchel has really had a lot of trouble coaching this Bayern Munich squad to play against a low block, a compact defense. We'll see how it works. I, I think Bayern's going to break through, which will open some things up. I do think Freiburg will get one of their own as well, but it'll be 3-1 in the end, and Bayern Munich will head into the international break with three points and some momentum that hopefully they can build from for the next stretch run after uh, Germany gets a couple of games in here in October. So uh, we're going to take a quick break right now, now that we've ended the preview show portion of this, and we've got a lot of other quality topics to talk about. Hang with us. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Weekend Warm-Up Podcast. This is Chuck Smith, and we are talking everything Bayern Munich. I'm actually not going to hit on uh, Germany and the international call-ups because I think I want to see what Nagelsmann does with his roster and who he calls up before I offer any commentary on it. By the time this podcast drops, it'll be less than 24 hours before he makes his squad selection. So I will hold off on my opinions until what I see come from there. And I do, I believe me, I have a lot of thoughts on what Nagelsmann can do, what he should do and how things will look under him. So I will refrain from putting those out there and uh, out there until I see what he is doing. But the good thing is there is so much going on with Bayern Munich that we could talk for hours and hours and hours. Now I won't do that because who the hell wants to listen to me yammer on that long, but let's talk about some of those big issues this week. And I will say this first last week, we talked about the divide growing in the Bayern Munich fan base, the pro two goals versus the anti two goals, the two goal ban as some people have coined uh, his supporters on, (laughs) on social media, whatever, but it's, it's kind of funny, but um Tuchel is one of these guys that that is easy to make things divisive for a lot of reasons. He's brilliant in some ways, stubborn in others, maddening in others. So uh, anytime he's involved with a team, there are going to be these kind of factions that grow. But one of the things that that has really struck me here at this point in the season is that and, and I'm going through this same exact thing with, with the NFL team in my home city of Philadelphia is that while the team is winning, it doesn't look like it should. Like the eye test is telling me with both Bayern Munich and the Philadelphia Eagles that despite the success that they're having in the win column, 
there are things going on that need to be addressed, need to be fixed, and that are going to be a problem when the competition gets better later in the season. Uh, for Bayern Munich, I feel like they're covering a lot of flaws right now. Uh, first and foremost, there's just a lack of fluidity, a lack of cohesion in the attack. We have seen it uh, with the way Harry Kane has been used, and I will talk a little bit about him in, in a bit, but there's just something not right. And part of the reason I think that there have been so many issues is that the offense has really started to focus more on Leroy Sané being that focal point. Uh, you have Gnabry, who is more goal-minded. You have Sané, who is more goal-hungry than he is a facilitator. Jamal Musiala, for all of his good qualities, is not the facilitator at as the 10 that you would hope he would be when playing with a big-name striker. Uh, it just hasn't looked like it should. And it's not to say it's been bad. It has certainly been productive. But it's not where it should be. And I think that is a reason for fans to look at this and start to be a little bit concerned. Now, I'm not of the mindset at this point to go out and start calling for Tuchel's job that he's mismanaging this. I do not agree with everything he's doing. But as we talked about at the beginning of this segment, a win is a win. And Bayern Munich is having success in the win column. It's tough to argue with the results. But I can't shake this feeling that there are things going on in this team with the way that they are playing that are going to set fans up for big disappointment later down the road. Aside of the attack and all of those issues, which again, we'll, we'll talk more about those when we touch on Harry Kane, but the midfield is very unsettled. You have Joshua Kimmich, who is the only solid, no doubt starter right now because of Tuchel's idiosyncrasies, but Tuchel Aside of what he's doing with flip-flopping, Limer and Goretzka, and now Guerrero being in the mix, Kimmich is still working through his own issues. Is he a six? Is he an eight? He wants to be the six, but he sort of wants to play like the eight. Can he find that balance within his own game? Can he find a partnership with someone else other than Goretzka that works? Now, as much as Goretzka gets killed, and he does absolutely get 100% killed, he is the best partner for Joshua Kimmich in this midfield. They have the best understanding of each other. I think they have the best communication. And I think they just work well together. Now, as soon, like I said earlier, as, as soon as Goretzka had an off game, Tuchel could not wait to get him out of there. That is a tough way for any player to, to try and perform. I mean, Goretzka certainly has to feel that pressure. I know as an observer, I'm seeing it. When I saw Goretzka not having a great game, immediately I knew he's on the bench for at least two to three games until things are so bad again that Tuchel has to go to him. And that's exactly how this season started. If you remember back, Conrad Limer got basically got anointed as the starter. Goretzka never had a chance. And I, I, this is making me sound like some kind of Goretzka fanboy. Do I think that Goretzka is a good player? Yes. I know a lot of you don't. Do I think that Goretzka deserved to enter the season as a starter? Absolutely. He had done nothing to lose that job. But out of nowhere, Conrad Limer was really just given the gig and said, you know what? It's yours. Run with it. He couldn't do it. And it's not as much a knock on Limer. I don't, I don't quite think he was ready for the stage of Bayern Munich just yet. And I don't, I don't know that his game meshes really well with Kimmich's. I think they're in a lot of ways more number eight minded and 
the communication isn't there for between Kimmich and Limer for knowing when to drop back and help the defense with Limer as it is for Goretzka. There's just something missing between Kimmich and Limer. So once things sort of hit an early rock bottom with Limer, Goretzka came in, Limer shifted the right back. It was a temporary fix, but it was working. Goretzka and Kimmich looked great. I thought that they had a good relationship. The communication was great. Spacing was good. Everything was working out. Goretzka has an off game boom out of here. It's just kind of funny because Tuchel is so transparent with this. When he doesn't like someone, it's very obvious. He doesn't see the use for Goretzka. Clearly has an issue with Matthijs Delict. Clearly is not wanting to recognize what, what Thomas Muller is bringing to the table and is failing to realize that Matisse Tell is outperforming Kingsley Coman at this point. So all of that considered, Tuchel has to own some of this with the problems that are going on. Defensively, listen, this unit, and I tried to describe it the best way I could saying this. Individually, I think the players are doing well. Davies is doing well. Kim Jay doing well. Upamakano doing well. Mizrahi doing well. As a unit, I think they're really struggling. And it sounds weird because it's not as if Byron's getting lit up with goals, but something's not right there. There's no leader on the back line at this point. And as much as people want to tout Upamakano as that kind of player, I just don't see it. Uh, I don't, again, if you want to ask me to, to rate these players, I would say that, you know, across the board, they've been like a solid seven and a half to an eight out of 10, all of them. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that, you know, those are good players. They've had ups and downs so far. Kim and Jay has caught some criticism from Lothar Madhouse. It's listen, that's what Lothar does. We we know that. I don't think Kim and Jay has looked his most comfortable yet. I don't think we've seen the best of him. I think he has struggled at times, just like I think Upa Makano has. They haven't had those outright awful moments, like those big stage bright lights moments like Upa Makano had last year in the Champions League, but it hasn't been good. And I do think that the licked for everything that Tuchel doesn't like about his game. He brings so much to the table and organizing that back line and not to mention his ability to win aerial balls is tackling. And I, I don't have as, as big a problem with Tuchel does is how the operates in the buildup. I think some of that's a little bit overblown because I feel like Tuchel's looking for an excuse not to use the Cause frankly, I don't think he likes him as a player and you know, I, listen, you could say I'm speculating on that, and sure I am, but the squad selections show what they are. I mean, I know Delict is hurt right now, but before when he was healthy, it's not as if he was first on Tuchel's team sheet. Uh, you could argue the same with Muller. When he's played, he has been very good, does not get his number called. Same with Matisse Tell. I, you know, nobody's producing at the rate that this kid is. Literally no one. If you look at some of the stats out there, and I think Opta Franz has has one out right now on Twitter that, that Tell is the most productive player in Europe this season uh, in terms of goals per minute. I mean, these are players that are that are capable of doing great things for Tuchel, but he does not want to use them. And the longer this goes on where Bayern does not look like it's flowing, where Bayern Munich does not look connected as a team, the more doubt is going to merge among the fan base. And those anti-Tuchel people are going to get louder and louder. And in turn, the pro-Tuchel side is going to get louder and louder defending their guy. So it's the, the whole divide is just going to go on nonstop until this thing breaks down. 
But just based on the eye test, things are not where they need to be with this Bayern Munich team. I think that there are a lot of flaws that we're seeing that over the course of the season, if if Tuchel does not find a way to overcome his ego, if he does not find a way to rely on players that he personally does not like, and I don't mean personally like he doesn't like them as a person, but I mean Tuchel just individually does not like these players or value them in the way that that he would play them as starters or play them consistently. Uh, I feel like Goretzka is always going to be a player who will go through this cycle with Tuchel. Starts on the bench, is needed, plays a couple of good games, looks like a solid starter, has one off day, back to the bench, and there will be this vicious cycle with that. I think Delict will fall into the same category. Um, unless someone has an outright awful performance, like, like something we saw with Upamakano in the Champions League last year, I think it will be very difficult for some of those players to break through into the group that Tuchel wants to play. And I'll be honest right now, as much as I like this roster and how much talent is on this roster, if they don't figure this out, they have no chance in the Champions League because they will not be able to hang in those high-profile games later in the year if they are not utilizing their best players and utilizing the best of their best in terms of players like Harry Kane, who we will talk about right now. Kane, ah, it's a it's a pretty maddening case because for weeks now we've said, and we're, we're always sitting here as fans, we're, we're talking about why isn't Harry Kane more involved? Why is he having to drop back into his own defensive end to get on the ball? It's, it's kind of silly, right? But as much as I want to say I'm I'm not concerned yet, my concern is growing to the point where, yeah, soon it, it could become very worrisome. Kane only had 22 touches against FC Copenhagen. That is ridiculous. This is a player that you've spent close to nine figures on. Someone's regarded as a top five to top 10 player in the world, and the people around him can only get him 22 touches a game. Now, listen, some of you will point out uh, Kane hasn't adjusted his movement to Bayern Munich yet. It hasn't been the best. He needs to make adjustments in his game. Certainly, there are some things Kane could be doing better. But when the attack is being driven by Sané and Coman and Musiala and Kimmich, and it does not involve really trying to get Kane involved, this has become very frustrating for fans. Definitely for me. I am extremely frustrated watching it. But I'm sure Kane is starting to to second guess what he decided to do here because I I have never seen a player left out on an island so much as we had seen Kane against FC Copenhagen. Not only was he uninvolved with those 22 touches, his passing was not great. He had zero shots. I'm not even saying shots on goal, but zero shots total. None, none, None at all. I mean, for a player of Kane's ilk to have that kind of game, you would think he was being locked down and, and triple marked by three of the best defenders in the world. Spoiler alert, he was not. I think this is a major problem. And, and Tuchel keeps throwing out these excuses that, you know, he's got a different idea for Kane, that Kane's going to sit a little deeper and it's going to function a little bit more like a 10. No, you did not get Harry Kane to drop back and be Thomas Muller. You got Harry Kane to be Robert Lewandowski. And eventually... If Harry Kane is not Robert Lewandowski and you're going to rely on Leroy Sané and Jamal Musiala and Kingsley Coman or Serge Gnabry, you're going to be let down. And that's not a knock on them, but that's not the kind of player they are, any of those players. Musiala disappeared for a long stretch. He is still a young kid. He's still growing into his game. 
he still makes poor decisions sometimes. And while he's so dynamic and so good, and I don't want to detract from all the good stuff that he does because Musiala is that talented. His game is not yet there at the level where you can depend on him in those big moments. And I know, yeah, a lot of people say, well, he scored the basically the season-winning goal last year. You're right, he did. But he also barely showed up for three months before that. So with Musiala, I think there's still room in his game to grow. I think with Sané and Coman and Gnabry, we've seen this before. They go through stretches where they're absolutely tarred, where they look like they are some of the best players on earth in terms of like top 10, top 15, because they're so disruptive and so good. But we know that there's always another shoot to fall there because they're very streaky. And for as good as Sané has been, I can't help myself from wondering when this is going to start to fall off a little bit because Sané is built for all of the talent that he has. And he's got, you know, oodles of it, right? His game is based on confidence. And if he loses that confidence, he is even like a smidge of confidence. You start to see a different Sané, someone who's hesitant, someone who passes up an open shot for forcing a look to someone that's not there. We have seen this before. I think to work the best that Bayern Munich needs to understand all of this, that Thomas Tuchel needs to understand his personnel and he needs to start to shift things philosophically to get Kane the ball in the box. However, he decides to do it. He has to get these players moving on and getting Harry Kane the ball and stop looking for their own shots so much. And yes, again, we'll go back to the theme. Byron is winning games. They are successful in the win column. But the eye test is telling you that this is not sustainable, that eventually against the low block, Bayern Munich's going to struggle, that when they play world-class competition where they can't dominate possession, they're going to struggle to get opportunities. Harry Kane needs to be the feature. He needs to be the star. He needs to be the player getting the ball and scoring in scoring areas where he can make things happen. Right now it's not happening. And, and I, I'm going to say that I'm not escalated to being worried yet, but if I don't see an improvement soon in how Byron is using Harry Kane, I am going to start to, to really start to question things. And I, and I do think it starts with the idea that, that you have these wingers and, and, and you're 10 who are more goal-minded than they are facilitators. And I think it's a big problem for Kane. I think it's going to be a big problem for Bayern Munich. It's definitely become one of these things where the emergence of a player like Sané has almost come at the expense of getting the most out of Kane. And in the end, is Sané going to be the kind of player that can lead you to a Champions League title? Is he going to be your number one when it gets to that point? And, and I don't know that he's got that in him at this stage. And, and, and I don't say that because of his talent, but it does come down to his confidence. We have seen him fall apart at times when he is unconfident. And if, if that's the case, I think this, this is a bad philosophy for Tuchel to keep pushing. And, and it could prove to be very detrimental for getting this team where it needs to go. And I think one of the things to look at when you examine the situation is thinking back to Robert Lewandowski's last season. I don't know if a lot of you remember his body language and his yelling on the field and his griping to the media. This was the exact situation that he was complaining about. 
he was not getting the balls in that he had gotten for years because the offense had shifted to be more about Leroy Sané and Kingsley Coman and Serge Gnabry and Jamal Musiala. There was no Thomas Muller there to help facilitate getting the ball to Lewandowski. Once Muller had started to be moved around and not be used as much, the team lost its ability to really feature its star striker. And Lewandowski over the course of that season was pissed. He was irritated. And, and we saw it. And I think aside of Erling Holland and all the, the, the rumors of how that affected Lewandowski's idea about staying with Bayern Munich more than anything, I think how the team was functioning under Nagelsmann and the lack of involvement of Lewandowski led him to be fed up. And I think if, if Tuchel is not smart about the situation and if he doesn't change the way things are operating, you're going to get the same sort of reaction about Harry Kane. Now, I will say this about Kane. He is not Robert Lewandowski. He is not going to start to yell at his teammates on the field. He's not going to have all the histrionics and drama with the faces and the pointing and the waving, all of that. I don't even think that we'll see Kane start to talk about how frustrated he is in the media. They're two different types of players, but I think they have the same mentality and that they are the stars. They need to get the ball and they need to be involved. And I could see Kane becoming very frustrated with the situation if it does not change. So Tuchel needs to get that fixed. And again, it all goes back to the eye test until that happens. And this shift happens with Kane becoming the focal point. I don't think you're going to get the best out of Bayern Munich. One of the final things, I guess this is the final thing that we'll talk about is some of the recent transfer rumors. And it makes me wonder a little bit about the culture of what's going on in the club at this point. Uh, of course, the biggest thing out there right now, and this situation could be resolved one way or the other at this point is the Jerome Boateng situation. And this is such an intricate thing to talk about because you have the first fact if you just want to look at on-field production Boateng <laughs> was cooked the last time he was at Bayern Munich he went and he took that deal at Lyon and I don't know if anyone actually thought he could play a serious role for them but of course Lyon admits they made a mistake in signing him uh, which is not a good sign right like if, if, if you're Bayern Munich and you're looking at bringing him in and Lyon is like yeah we should have never signed him Probably not a, a good reference, right? I don't know that Boateng has any le anything left in the tank. I think on the field, his career is pretty much over. In fact, I expected him at this point to be playing for like NYCFC or something in MLS because he had always wanted to seemingly go to America, uh, expand his own brand, live in New York. Those were things that it just seemed like Boateng would want to do. Uh, but the money probably isn't as good as what he could get even for half a season with Bayern Munich. Uh, I don't see why Bayern would even entertain this. I get the depth part of it. I get the familiarity part of it. And Tuchel, by all accounts, is the one pushing for this. He has been the man, if you believe the reports, advocating for Jerome Boateng. Uh, and at some point, you know, Bayern is ceding some of its its power in the transfer dealings to Tuchel because Tuchel has already griped about a small squad. He's already griped about not getting some of the targets that he wanted. So in some ways, Bayern Munich could get him Boateng just to appease him temporarily and, and keep his mouth shut, which believe it or not, I, I think is a factor in this whole thing. I, I don't think 
Boateng has anything left in the tank to offer Bayern Munich on the field. Off the field, it's far more complex. And I, I'll be honest, I'm not going to dive into exactly why it's complex or how, but just know this, it's not good. Uh, I, I don't think in a lot of ways it affects the locker room because I think that the players think they know and understand Boateng on a personal level. So I don't think anything that's going on in the courts or anything that's been reported in the media would affect the players. But from a club culture standpoint, I don't know that it's something that looks the best uh, as far as you know the optics of the situation go. But I don't also don't think Bayern Munich genuinely cares that much about the optics of the situation. They've proven that time and time again with some of their other signings and how they've handled players with similar situations to what Boateng was involved with. So off the field stuff aside, I just don't think on the field he's going to offer much, even in these scenarios where, you know, Byron has to start Leon Koretska as a center back. I think Boateng was so slow last time he was here. And the fact that he's got to be slower now, I think that's a recipe for disaster. If you think you can lean on him to provide any type of valuable minutes as much as I hate to say it, I almost feel like Byron's better off waiting until January to find someone who can fill that role. I'm not relying on the youngster Tarek Buckman to be able to come in and do that. I, I don't honestly don't think he's going to be ready even coming after his injury when he's healthy. I think he, he still has a lot of room to go to grow with his game. But I, I think Byron's going to have to, in my mind, pass on Boateng. That's what I would do strictly just on the field. I just don't think he offers much, but I feel like Byron's going to seed this battle to Tuchel and give him Boateng because that's what the coach wants. And it's an easy way for the club to placate Tuchel on a, on a personnel matter, which Tuchel quite frankly, it has griped about in the past. So um, the Boateng situation is very delicate for a lot of reasons, but I think Bayern Munich ultimately is, is going to pull the trigger and, and sign him. And uh, I, I think, you know, some large parts of the fan base are going to be unhappy about that. I'm sure the ultras will have something to say about it. And uh, I don't know culturally within the club, if it's the best PR move, but listen, these are decisions that get made uh, pay grades above me. So uh, I will say whatever Bayern Munich does, it's going to be well thought out. I don't think it will necessarily make everyone happy, but they're going to have their reasons for doing it. And in the end, given what human nature is, people will eventually move on from how they feel initially if the move does happen. So uh, I just, again, I don't think he's got anything to offer this team. But some of the other rumors that we have seen of late, kind of crazy ones, um, you know, Joshua Kimmich has been linked to Barcelona, Real Madrid. Nothing serious has come out since the summer on that. Matthijs De Ligt, uh, given his situation, we're starting to see uh, rumors about FC Barcelona and Manchester United. Of course, he has ties at both of those clubs. So uh, if he's not happy, he certainly could have options. Alfonso Davies, uh, now his agent is, is out spouting off a little bit more, talking about some of the clubs that might be interested, some of the names we've seen floated around, of course, include Real Madrid, Chelsea, Manchester City. It could all be posturing. Uh, I get the feeling this is a little bit more serious than that. I think that uh, Davies and his agent might be prepared to move on. 
if they don't get what they like from Bayern Munich, how they might, they might be prepared to move on anyway. Uh, Davy seems to me, and I said the same thing about Lucas and got killed for it, but doesn't seem to me to be a one club kind of player in some ways. Like I listen, I know he came from Vancouver. Uh, I, I have never anticipated Davies was going to be a Byron lifer after that move. I still think that there's a good chance that he does move on during the summer. I just don't get the vibe from him that, that despite his friendship with Jamal Musiala and despite the fact that he is widely adored as one of the club's young stars, I, I feel like he's got grand plans in mind. And those grand plans are probably going to have to do with growing his own personal brand, which it's a lot easier when playing for say a team like Real Madrid or any of those power clubs in England. So uh, definitely a situation that's worth monitoring. Uh, I don't think that that Davies agent is just out here talking nonsense. I think, you know, the interest is definitely legitimate and that there's a possibility, a good possibility that Davies could be uh, seeking a, a different place of employment next summer. You know, some of the other ones that we have seen, Serge Gnabry has been linked with a couple of different clubs. Same with Leroy Sané. Again, these are situations that are tough to gauge because it really comes down to what the players want. Does Serge Gnabry like the comfort that he has with Bayern Munich? Same for Sané. Do they like where they stand in the team in terms of the roster and starting lineup? Do they like the culture of the club? Do they like just living in Germany? Germany is their homeland. Is that where they want to be? Uh, I think their situations are a little bit less volatile than, than say Davies uh, because of that reason. They're Germany internationals. They're playing for the biggest club in Germany. Uh, they both have experienced England. So there, there might not be that need to go out and want to test yourself at this stage of their respective careers. It's not to say that they won't, but they've already kind of dipped their toes into that water and know what it's all about. Again, with Bayern Munich, though, it's going to depend on what the roster vision is and who's building that vision. And, and it's become clear now that that Christoph Friend and Max Eberl, if he ever gets hired officially, are going to have a, a large say in that. And the thing about Max Eberl is, is this. Uli Honus has been fully behind this move and pushing for it. So what does that mean? It means that Uli Honus has a seat at the table through Max Eberl let's don't even try and gloss over it. That's what this is all about. Uli Honus for as big of a voice as he still has is going to want to have inside info as to what's going on, what's being discussed. And then he can bring the weight that he brings to every conversation when needed. Uh, to me, that's, that's really the key thing here, but we don't know moving forward, what the vision is, is Tuchel going to have a say in that, or is this going to operate in, in what was more like the Brazo Hansi flick years where Brazo made the squad and flick had to deal with it. We saw a shift under Nagelsmann. We've seen Tuchel have a lot more say than, than probably even Nagelsmann had, especially because Byron didn't have a sporting director there for a little bit this summer, but it, it remains to be seen how, how this works with, this sort of committee again in, in terms of transfers and how they decide which players need to stay, which players need to go. They've got some key veterans with contracts that, that need to be dealt with this summer. And you have some players in key years where if they're going to get sold, it, it probably has to be in this upcoming summer because you don't want to enter a lame duck year with them. You don't want to risk losing them for nothing. 
So there's a lot of decisions that are going to have to be made in the coming months. And I don't envy that committee, even though there's no formal transfer committee anymore, but whatever you want to refer to these, these, these people as a brain trust or whatever, they're going to have to start mapping this out now. And they're going to have to start looking at contract extensions now for some of these players. And, and I have a feeling that not everything is going to be smooth. And that a lot of this is going to come down to the last minute and, uh, you know, listen, I don't know what's going to happen with some of these players, but if this season goes off the rails somehow, and I don't, I don't think it will, but if it somehow does and Tuchel has a meltdown and the team falls, you know, they're out of the champions league unexpectedly early, which some of you are predicting. Um, I, I think that some of the players might start to reexamine their own personal situations and what might be best. And that's where you could see a player like Kimmich decide, you know, I've done all I can do with Bayern Munich. I've won everything I can win. Maybe it's time I test myself abroad. And uh, listen, <laughs> those are the risks you take when you're not passing the eye test. <laughs> and I know that's been a big focus here, but something doesn't look right on the field. Probably doesn't feel right to some of the players in the locker room. So, in the end, when they look at the final standings and we'll see where Bayern finishes up, whether it's in the Bundesliga, the Pokal, the Champions League, we know the Champions League is the big one. If if the players don't feel like that they can get there under Tuchel, if they don't feel like things are working, you're going to see some of these players maybe start to, to take a look at other situations and think about what it could be like for them at another club. So that's all we have for this week's episode. Uh, I'm looking really, I'm, I'm looking forward to the games this weekend. I want to see Freiburg, Bayern. Uh, there are a couple other Bundesliga matches that I am eager to take a look at. Uh, as you know, anytime I can watch additional matches, I do. Uh, while Union Berlin hasn't been great this year, I am eager to see how they play against Dortmund. Uh, I think that that could be a sneaky good match. Bayern Leverkusen FC Köln could be another good one. Uh, <laughs> uh, I know Samron will, will be paying attention to Borussia Mönchengladbach and Mainz. So there are some attractive games on the table. So if you're not just, uh, if you're looking to kill some time before that Byron game on Sunday, check out some of the Bundesliga action on Friday and Saturday. There's a lot of good stuff going on. Of course, Stuttgart Wolfsburg will be another one you'll get to see. The second place team versus Nico Kovac squad. Can Kovac give that lukewarm water? He he doles out of practice. Will that pay dividends against the higher rated team this weekend? But uh, have some fun with your weekend. As always, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get our tweetmeister Tom Adams at Tommy Adams seventy one. You can get I need no name at BFW. I-N-N-N. You can get Siler at CYL3R. I will not repeat that every week because that is annoying. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Siler. You got to gotta make that a little bit more easier for an old guy like me. But uh, either way, check all of those wonderful and talented podcasters out uh, on the site. You can also get the all the stuff, all of our writers, the people that don't even work on the podcast. They're doing such a good job there. So check out the site. Uh, keep downloading our podcast and get us some interactions here. We want to hear your thoughts on some of these matters. I know I covered a lot of ground there, especially when it comes to the roster planning and how Bayern Munich is not passing the eye test. I know a lot of people don't always believe in that. And a lot of people like to rely on statistics. And I, I kind of try and use a little bit of both when I look at things. 
But the eye test is really striking to me. And I'd love to hear what you guys are thinking about that right now. So drop me some comments on the post for this or actually on Spotify or wherever you can hit me on social media. So have a couple of beers on me and we will see you next time.